If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 6 this morning. Um, I do want to encourage you, if you're here and you were not able to be here during our missions revival, please avail yourself of one of our faith promise uh, missions commitment cards at the information desk. Fill that out. Rip off the right side, put it face down. It's anonymous. Nobody will know. Nobody's coming after you. But it allows us to figure out what our budget is for worldwide missions over the next year. And so if you have not had a part in that yet, uh, please avail yourself of that. That would be greatly appreciated. Now, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning, and, uh, and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the gift of music, God, which encourages us and challenges us. And excites us about what the future holds. God, I pray that today that you would uh, be with this message. That you would uh, bless it and use it for your honor and for your glory. God, I pray that as we leave your house today, we'll be energized and excited to live a life that brings you honor and glory each and every day of our lives. God, we thank you for how you've worked in the past. And God, we need your strength, your power, and your wisdom to work in the future. And God, I pray that everyone in this room and those that are listening, God, that we would understand our call when it concerns missions. And God, we love you. We thank you. I pray that you'll be with me. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, because you are my strength and my redeemer, and we give you the praise in advance for everything, and we pray this in the precious name of Jesus, and for his sake, the people of God said, amen and amen. Well, as we conclude the month of October, it seems crazy to me that we're at the end of October already, and uh, as we conclude the month of October, I'm a year older. I don't know if I'm any wiser, but I'm a year older, and uh, my hair is letting looser, and uh, I've realized this week that I have a problem right here, and it's that the hair is starting to go backward. And I don't know what that comes from. Maybe some of you older men can tell me. Uh, It's starting to leave my scalp. But anyway, the reality is we've come to the end of October. And October is typically the time that we renew our focus on not only the Lord Jesus Christ, but worldwide missions. And so I thought it would be helpful today to remind each and every one of us of just a few, few thoughts about what's next. And the reality is you see the title of the message this morning is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, extraordinary things that you and I couldn't even begin to comprehend. But the reality is that every believer, if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are a Christ follower this morning, every one of us who have received the Lord as our Savior, we have been called to missions, whether we like it or not. The flags are down, no more faces staring at you convicting you and telling you that the need is great, but the reality is that the need is still great. And so truly the call to leverage our lives for the Great Commission was included in that initial call when you and I trusted Christ. I think about Jesus when he said to, uh, to, uh, to Peter and Andrew in Matthew chapter 4 in verse number 19, he said these words, it was very short, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The reality is that as you and I have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of sin, we also, in that moment when we accept Christ, we also accept the responsibility that comes with that. And I was talking about this in Sunday school, but we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 17, that uh, all things are become new when we trust Christ. 
But before we even get there, Ephesians 4. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 4, 1, and he said, walk worthy of that new vocation wherewith you're called. And then he also says in verse 2, he says that you're to walk worthy in lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. But what you need to understand, because a lot of people see the word vocation, the word vocation actually means invitation. So now read it again. It says, to walk worthy of the invitation wherewith you are called. We have been invited to Jesus Christ. It was a divine calling. God calls, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God calls. When we respond, we've responded to that invitation. And as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, all things are become new. But if you read on, here's where the rubber really meets the road. Yes, all things are become new. But in Ephesians chapter, or, or Colossians, ah, 2 Corinthians 5, thank you. 2 Corinthians 5, in verse number 18, 19, and 20, it goes on. Not only are we new in Christ, but verse 18 tells us that we have been reconciled, and it says that we have a ministry of reconciliation. Verse number 19 says that we've been given, watch this, the word of reconciliation. And then verse number 20 says this. It's amazing. God has enlisted each and every one of us who follow Christ as ambassadors. You are ambassadors for Christ here in Northern Virginia and all around the world. And so the plan for missions truly is God's. But the responsibility for missions is ours because we represent the king. Let me say that again. We represent the king. Now five minutes ago we were singing, What a day that will be when my Jesus... So we had no problem saying that, but when we start talking about we represent the king, it gets really quiet. Oh, see, the Bible tells us in Colossians 3 that whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. I was talking about this idea on Wednesday night from Matthew chapter 5 that we are called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In other words, whatever we do, we're to do it for the Lord's honor and glory, but we're to do it with the same strategic purpose that God has given us. Listen, he's placed you in this room today for a reason. You say, well, I got up and I came. He put that on your heart. There are many times when people get up and they say, ah, I'm not going to go worship the Lord today. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to serve the Lord today. I'm not going to do this today. There, that happens all the time. That's normal, right? We make decisions what we're going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reality is if we're going to do anything for the Lord, the Bible says to do it heartily. The idea of doing it for the Lord's honor and glory. Truly, as Christ followers, the primary factor of our lives should be to get involved in the greatest work known to mankind. And that's the Lord's work. Because truly, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. In Acts chapter 6, look with me. Such is the case with the story we find in Acts chapter 6 surrounding Stephen's life. And some of you know a little bit about Stephen. But the reality is that this point in scripture is a big turning point when it comes to the gospel going all around the world. Because at this point, up to this point, the gospel has yet to leave Jerusalem. And yet Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And if you remember in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 8, he said, Listen, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. So 
That was Acts chapter 1. We're in Acts chapter 6. The job hadn't been done. The apostles, so to speak, they're still at Jerusalem. And so the reality is what's taking place. And so you say, well, pastor, great things were happening in the early church. You are correct. There were some great things happening, but they still had not gone into the uttermost part of the earth at this point. So look in Acts chapter 6, because right here at the beginning of Acts chapter 6, we see how Stephen, among a group of six others, were chosen to assist and serve and to care for the widows so that the apostles could give themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Notice verse number 5. Verse 5 says, And the saying pleased. So basically there was a problem. And so they offer this solution. They're going to call these seven guys. And it says this, that the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen. Notice this. It says he was a man, what does it say? Full of what? Faith and of the Holy Ghost. Now notice, it's interesting to me that Scripture gives us a little bit of information about Stephen. And yet the rest of the group, it just basically says who they are or where they came from. Right? And so we have some important information here about Stephen. And so here's the thing. Stephen was well known for his faith, and he was also well known for his faithfulness. So the question is this morning, and I was kind of broadcasting it Wednesday night, and I want you to think about this as we go forward. If you and I were to be placed on trial today as men and women of faith, would there be enough evidence to convict us? That's different for each person. If you and I were to be placed on trial today as, as being men and women of faith, if the world rounded us up as like Saul, he was going around rounding up Christians, Christ followers. If they were to round us up today and we were to stand on trial, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Well, the answer in Stephen's life was emphatically yes. Yes, there was. Now, to many people, when you look at verse number five and following and you look at Stephen's life and the role that he played it's like what's the big deal he was called to serve the widows what's the big deal isn't that what we do many times we say well what's the big deal they serve in the nursery oh it's a big deal what's the big deal they serve in children's ministry it's a big deal what's the big deal I only cut cut the grass up at the Lord's house I only do this I only do this listen never minimize what God wants to do through you and I he has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And the talents and abilities that you have may not be the same talents and abilities that I have and vice versa. And so God has a purpose for each and every one of us life. And so look at verse number 8 because although Stephen's job may seem obscure and not important to you from a worldly perspective, verse number 8 actually gives us a clearer picture of how special his faith was. Because look at verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power did great wonders and miracles among the people. It's like, hey, Stephen, we need you to go over here and serve the widows. Okay, I'll go do that, but guess what? I'm still going to live my life and be a man full of faith, and I'm going to exhibit the fact that not only am I a man full of faith, but I am full of the Holy Ghost. God's in charge in my life. And so notice what happens, because when you and I live our faith out loud, so to speak, in a right way, I can tell you that you're going to get the attention of others. Have you ever said something and gotten the attention, whether it's positively or negatively, of somebody else in the workplace? You said something and somebody got angry with you. Or you said something and somebody actually agreed with you. 
The reality is that's true when it comes to our faith. When we live our faith out loud, there's going to be sometimes a positive response, but also many times there may be a negative response. And so notice what takes place. Verse number 10, the Bible says, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. This is speaking of Stephen. Notice verse 11, They suborned men. Now that word suborned is a King James confusing word, but here, let me just tell you and clear it up for you. They basically procured or hired men. They were hired guns, so to speak. They hired men. Notice what they said. They hired men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So in other words, it was not true, but they went and they hired people to say that he had done these things. Now notice, it keeps on going. Verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him without warning. So this idea of coming upon him is without warning and hostility. And it says they caught him. In other words, they took him by violence. They didn't just say, you know, like hide and seek. Ali, Ali, young country, you know, come on out, tag, you're it. No, they caught him by violence and took him. And so notice what it says, and brought him to the council, verse 13, and set up false witnesses, which said, this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, speaking of the temple, and shall change the customs which Moses delivered unto us. But notice verse 15, and all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Hmm. So they hire all these liars to come in and to stir the pot. They get the people all worked up. They're lying against Stephen. And when Stephen stands there, they say that his face shined like the face of an angel. You remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, they said something very similar about his face shining as it was the face of God. Listen, God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. And this is what's taking place. In Acts chapter 7, if you flip over in Acts chapter 7, Stephen proceeds by preaching the longest sermon in Acts. And I got good news for you. We're not going to read it. I'm going to encourage you to read it on your own. But he, he basically preaches the longest sermon in the book of Acts, giving a detailed history of Israel down through the ages and how everything that they had been through was pointing to Jesus Christ. In fact, I know I didn't call for this, guys, but if you have your Bible, I want you to look with me because I want to read to you three verses before I get where I'm going. Look at verse 51. This is the end of Stephen's message. Verse 51 says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did. So do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one. Speaking of Jesus. Of whom ye have now the betrayers, you have, now, you have been now the betrayers and murderers. Verse 53. And have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Now, watch the culmination of his message in verse 54. Because here's the result. After he gets done preaching... And stay with me because it's going somewhere real quickly. In verse 54, it says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, 
being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. In verse 57, Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their clothes down at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, who was calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now here's the thing. Look at verse number 60. And I know that there's a break there between chapter 7 and chapter 8, but look at verse number 1 of chapter 8. Because immediately after he falls down and he, and he says these words and he dies, immediately after us, notice verse number 1 says that there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Folks, here's what I want you to see. That persecution that comes against the early church does not come because of the apostles' obedience to go into all the world and preach the gospel. That persecution comes because of Stephen, an ordinary follower of Christ. It becomes part of the reality of their day because of Stephen's obedience. You see, notice what takes place. Look down at verse 4. Drop down at verse 4. It says, and they scattered, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of where, uh-oh, Remember the gospel that was only in Jerusalem? Jesus said, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. They hadn't done it. They're still at Jerusalem at this point. But notice, after Stephen does what he does, after he stands up as a man of God, notice what happens. The persecution comes, and in verse 4 it says, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except who? Say it. The apostles. The apostles stay at Jerusalem. You see, for the first time that we see in Scripture that the gospel basically departs in a massive way from Jerusalem because the people who knew Christ, they scatter. They scatter into the regions beyond. And Stephen is a picture of you and I, folks. As ordinary Christians, he's a picture of what you and I should be doing. He stood faithfully even in the midst of persecution. Now, I, I can be real honest with you. I haven't heard of a lot of persecution of Christ followers lately. I hear more persecution of, of followers of whatever political party than I hear of people persecuting Christ followers. And it's very quiet in this room. When was the last time you heard of somebody giving up their life for Jesus Christ in Northern Virginia? He was a Christ follower and they persecuted him. But around the world as we'll look at next week in our Sunday school hours, around the world people are dying left and right, being persecuted for the cause of Christ. Oh, just like then, and hopefully now, you and I will see the opportunity that we have. Not necessarily look at it as a job, but look at it as an opportunity. Not as a problem, but look at the power that we have through Jesus Christ, that we can go into all the world and be used to reach the world with the gospel. But here's what I want you to see very quickly with me. There were a few beliefs that Stephen had as he stood faithful in this time. And if you and I hope to do the same, if you and I hope to share our faith with our friends, our co-workers, and wherever we go, we're going to have to have the same belief system that Stephen had. 
And so if you're a note taker, here's the first belief that he had. The first belief that he had was that God wants to use me. They said, hey, we need you to feed the widows. Stephen says, perfect, I'm the man for the job. Well, we, we're going to give ourselves to praying and, and the ministry of the word, but you know what we want you to care for and take care of the widows. Stephen said, perfect. But what you don't see is the rest of the story where he's doing these great miracles and wonders because he's filled with the Holy Ghost and he's a man of faith. See, God has historically used ordinary believers just like you and I. By the way, that's his preferred method, is to use men and women and boys and girls to reach their friends and family members for Christ. It was Stephen Neal in his book, The History of Christian Missions, who said this. He said, the only thing that is more remarkable than the speed by which the gospel was spread throughout the first century is its anonymity. He said, by the end of the first century, there were three major church planting centers in the ancient world. Number one was Antioch, number two, Alexandria, and number three, Rome. But here's the rub. He went on to say, what's amazing is that we have no earthly idea who planted these ministries. In Antioch, in Alexandria, in Rome. And now everybody here saying, well, hold, 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 hold on. Antioch was the church that sent out the first missionaries. Well, you don't have any information who planted it. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, all we know about that church at Antioch is this. We actually see from verses 19 to 21 that what we know and what we read is that some of the men, some of the men, they don't even name them. It's just some of the men, after the persecution and the scattering of believers, actually went to this place and notice in verse, I think it was verse 21 in Acts uh, chapter 11, it says some of these men went and they preached and they preached the word, verse number 19. They preached the word to none but only the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake to the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord, verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and notice what happened, and turned to the Lord. Oh yes, the ministry in Antioch got started right there. And when it comes to Rome, everybody says, well, hold on. Paul says over and over, he says in Acts chapter 19, he says in uh, Acts chapter 23 and on and on that he must go to Rome. He, he must needs get to Rome and he wants to go. Well, sure. Paul wanted to go to Rome and have a part in planting the gospel there. But the reality is, in fact, turn to Acts 28. The reality is that when you get to Acts 28, what we find is the gospel's already reached Rome by the time Paul gets there. Because in Acts chapter 28, Look at verse number 15. See, God's word says that in verse number 15, that when the brethren heard that Paul were in the area, notice verse 15 says that they came out to meet us as far as Apiform and the three taverns whom when Paul saw, notice what he does, when he sees them, he thanks God. He thanks God and takes courage. He's like, praise the Lord. The gospel's already gotten here. There's brethren, there's believers, there's fellow Christ followers in Rome by the time Paul gets to Rome. And so the reality is that during the first century, the gospel of Jesus Christ spread through some men that decided to go over here to Antioch and tell somebody else about Jesus. They preached the Lord Jesus, is what the Bible says. Oh, the gospel spread over to Rome because someone went and told somebody else about Jesus. The gospel will spread in northern Virginia, if some men and women will go and tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Oh, listen, ordinary people have been used to do extraordinary things by God all down through the ages. It was interesting to me, a couple of weeks ago, I heard the, uh, the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, the president, Dr. John Connerup, was giving some statistics. And he said that the Baptist Bible Fellowship International has over 700 missionaries in 84 countries. That's amazing, right? But guess what? Today there are 195 countries in the world. It's great that there's... 700 missionaries in 84 countries, but with 700 missionaries, you would think that we would have one in at least 195 countries. 700 missionaries, 84 countries. Folks, the job is not done. Listen, what would happen if all of us in this room, if all of us had a belief system that where we live, where we work, if we would identify ourselves, if we identify ourselves as Christ followers, no matter where we live, no matter where we work, no matter what we do, if we would believe that God wants to use us to win our coworker who's discouraged because his marriage is breaking up with the love of Christ? What if we believe that God wanted to use us to encourage, as you do, brother, the homeless men and women of Washington, D.C.? What, what would happen if we would believe that God wants to use us to go into our neighborhoods to the neighbor next door and say, what can I do for you, right? It might be an open door to share the gospel with that person. See, what we do, we have to understand, just like Stephen said, no job is too small. You want me to serve the widows? Perfect. I'm still going to do what God wants me to do, where I'm at and how he uses me. And so I just put down in my notes, I really believe that we could turn the world upside down if we would have that same belief that God wants to use us. And so I simply say, may God break our hearts for what breaks His. With the Lord reigning and ruling in our lives, we as ordinary peoples can do extraordinary things. Oh yeah, we need to be involved in going out in the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in as Luke 14, 23 tells us. We need to believe that He wants to use us. Our second belief is that like Stephen Stephen knew that the Holy Spirit needed to fill his life. The Bible says he was full of faith. In verse number 5, he was a man full of faith, but he was also full of the Holy Ghost. It was the knowledge that God's power resided in him that gave Stephen the ability to stand. And I got some good news for you. The same Holy Ghost that resided inside of Stephen resides inside of each and every one of us. Stephen wanted to be used of God, but Stephen also knew that he had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, the Holy Spirit takes up residency in our lives. But we must do what is necessary to allow the Holy Spirit to fill our lives. You know, there's a such thing as grieving the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's just not going to fill up just because we say we're Christ followers. We all have the same power residing in us. And you've heard me say over and over, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that's exciting stuff. It was in John chapter 16, verse number 7, that Jesus said these words. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. By the way, Jesus doesn't lie. So if he tells the disciples then the truth, he's telling you and I the truth today. He says, it is expedient or beneficial is what he's saying. It's beneficial for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, i.e. the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Folks, Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection was beneficial for you and I today. If he never died, if he was never buried, if he didn't 
rise again from the grave. You and I today, I dare say, wouldn't be in this room. And I dare say we'd be most miserable trying to figure out some way to appease a holy God. Trying to work our way to heaven. Trying to buy our way to heaven. Oh, I'm so thankful that Jesus did this. But here's the thing. In the early church, Jesus said, remember he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you in Acts 1. But in Acts chapter 2, what we know is that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that they were all together in one accord in a place. And in verse number 4 of chapter 2, the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 4, they pray and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost. And you get down to verse number 31 and the Bible reveals that after they pray, being filled with the Holy Ghost, that they're enabled to speak the word of God with boldness. In Ephesians 5, 18, which a lot of people love to discuss and debate, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Right? There's an implication of us being filled with the Spirit. Romans 8, verse number 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Folks, when the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding our steps, you and I as ordinary believers can do great and amazing and abundant and extraordinary things. Not because we're great or extraordinary or abundant, but because he is. And God is able to use us. As one pastor put it, we, have already, we already have the mechanism by which you and I can mobilize to go into all the world. You know what it's called, right? It's called our jobs, our neighborhoods, and our families. I dare say that if we would just reach our family, all our family members, individual family members for Christ... Oh, man, that would be a huge number of people coming to Christ this year. What if we reached out to our coworkers this year? How many more people would know Christ? What if we reached out in our neighborhoods? We have the mechanism to go into all the world. And with the Holy Spirit's power and presence, we must go out while we still have time. God wants to use me. The Holy Spirit needs to fill me. Number three, my life must reflect Jesus' life. If your life is putting off a reflection that is anything other than Jesus Christ, we're in trouble. But notice what happens in Acts chapter 7, back in our story. In verse number 59, in Acts chapter 7, back in verse 59, the Bible says, And they stoned Stephen, and he's calling upon God. Notice, he's calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And look at verse 60, because here's the, here's the real beautiful thing. In verse 60, he kneels down and he cries out with a loud voice. He says, Lord, lay not their sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In essence, what Stephen is doing mirrors the very words of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 23. When Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then Jesus says later in verse number 46, he says, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Right? Stephen is saying the same thing. He says, he says in verse 60, he says, listen. He says, Lord, lay not their sin to their charge. In essence, he's like, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Be merciful to them. Be gracious to them just as you were to me. It's amazing and incredible to me that in his dying moment, Stephen was thinking about and attempting to do exactly what Jesus did for him. I wonder how we would do in our dying moment. Would we, be, would we have that mindset that would say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Would we have the mindset in our dying breath to reach out to somebody that we love, that we've yet to tell about God's love? Oh, what would be our response? The things that Jesus prayed for others was exactly what Stephen was praying as he's dying. And I believe it's because Stephen was a man who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And even in his dying breath, here's what Stephen's doing. 
as he's dying. Check this out. He's dying. And he's pointing people to Christ. As he's dying, he's going down. He's still, Father, forgive them for they know not what they... He's saying, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. He says, don't do it. Be merciful. Be gracious. He's still pointing people to Jesus in his dying breath. Oh, listen. He understood that God wanted to use him. He understood that the Holy Spirit needed to fill, fill him. But he also knew that he had to reflect the love of Jesus Christ to others. Oh, my friends, where would we be without Jesus this morning? It was Martin Luther who said this. He said, it would not have mattered if Jesus had been born or died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. Because the preaching of the gospel is essential to people believing the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse number 18, the Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Are you thankful that the power of God reached you? Oh my goodness, Psalm 126, 5 through 6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Whatever we do, may God help us to reflect Jesus to the world. It was C.T. Studd who said, Only one life will soon be passed. You've heard this. Only one life will, tw will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Last Sunday, I was privileged to hear my brother and my friend Brian Wise preach Sunday night. We were at the missions conference, and, and I've heard him preach this message, this particular message before, uh, to be transparent. But he was preaching on this verse, and I want to show it on the screen. Philippians 1.27. Is where Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, and he says this, he says, only let your conversation, that word conversation means conduct. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Folks, people need to see Jesus living and speaking and breathing inside of you and I. Otherwise, they'll never see Christ, right? We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. We have been giving this beautiful, beautiful opportunity. Yes, it's a responsibility, but it's wonderful opportunity that as ordinary believers, God can do extraordinary things in our lives. It was Charles Spurgeon who once said these words. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's hard. That was hard when I typed it, and it was hard when I just said it. But it doesn't make it any less true. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Oh, yes, you and I as ordinary believers, if we're going to be used to impact our world with the love and the truth of God. Oh, yes, we must be like Stephen and believe that God actually wants to use us. We must be like Stephen and understand that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We must be like Stephen and understand that everything we think, everything that we say, and everything that we do should reflect Jesus to a lost and dying world. But ultimately, ultimately, the question that you and I are going to have to ask is the final, the final belief. And we're going to have to ask ourselves, is Jesus really worth it? Every day we have to ask ourselves that choice. Is Jesus really worth it for me to live as a woman of God? Is Jesus really worth it for me to put him first in my life? To actually love my husband 
as the church is called to love Christ. And men, not to let you off the hook, is Jesus really worth it for me to be a man of God, to be a man of prayer, to be a man of faith, to be a man that exhibits that I have the Holy Spirit residing and filling my life? Is he really worth it to love my wife as Christ loved and gave himself for the church? Is it worth it? Young people, is it really worth it for me to honor my mother and father, which is right in the Lord? We're going to have to ask ourselves these questions. But for Stephen, the answer was an emphatic yes. He was, for Stephen, Jesus was worth it all. Look at verse 55 and verse 56 in chapter 7. In verse 55, it says, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly to heaven. But here's the thing that I want you to see as I close. He looks steadfastly up to heaven and he sees the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now Stephen sees Jesus standing, not sitting. Why? Oh, this has been the topic of great theological debate down through the years. Well, is scripture wrong? Did they make a mistake? When Stephen says he saw Jesus standing and not sitting, I mean, Hebrews says Jesus sits on the right hand of God. Folks, can I tell you, to me it doesn't really make a difference whether Jesus are stand, is standing or sitting. But in my little pea-sized uh, pea brain, I like to think that in that moment Jesus is standing because he's actually proud of Stephen. I like to think that he stood up off of his, off of his throne and said, Yes, I'm proud of you. You're a man of faith. You're a man of faithfulness. I kind of like to think that he's standing because he's ready to welcome Stephen home. He says, oh, another soldier's coming home. Come on, Stephen. Come on, Stephen. You know that great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews tells us about that is watching us tonight? Oh, I think Jesus was standing up saying, oh, yeah, look at my boy. Look at my boy. He's doing big things down there. I like to think Jesus is standing because he's cheering him on. He's ready to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's as if, Stephen, yeah, I know the world may be calling you a fool, but I call you faithful. Come on home. At some point in our lives, you and I are going to be faced with challenges. Whether they're physical challenges, emotional, mental uh, financial, spiritual, marital, parental, whatever the challenge is, we're going to be faced with it. And in that moment, we're going to have to ask ourselves the hard question, is Jesus worth it? In the moment that we stand to tell our friend about Jesus and they reject what you're saying, you're going to have to ask the question, is Jesus worth it? Oh, sometimes people respond positively, but sometimes they will respond negatively the question for us is going to be, is Jesus worth it? I like what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 7. When he says these words, he says, Unto you therefore which believe, he, speaking of Jesus, is precious. And so I simply ask you today, how precious is Jesus to you? How much is Jesus worth to you? Because when I read the story of Stephen, I find out for Stephen, Jesus was worth it all. So let me go back to my question. What does the evidence suggest for you today? Remember I said if we were on trial as being men and women of faith, would there be enough evidence to convict us? What does the evidence say? 
Is Jesus precious to you? Is he worth it to you? Do you have that belief that says, God, I know you want to use me. I don't know how, but I want to commit my life and I want you to use me in whatever way you see fit. God, I know that you love me because you died for me and you sent the Holy Spirit to reside with inside of me. Lord, I need the Holy Spirit to fill up my life. Are we committed to saying that today? Or will we just walk out, go grab a burger, take off our clothes and watch NFL football and maybe hope that the Nats win a baseball game tonight? You see, God wants to use you and I as ordinary believers, ordinary Christ followers, to do extraordinary things. And so I pray that you'll recommit yourself in this moment, that you'll recommit yourself to doing just that, being used by God, and allow Him to do the extraordinary things. That without Him, without the Holy Spirit, without that desire to reflect Him, and without that understanding and belief in your heart of hearts that he is worth it all, will never be a possibility. Oh, I encourage you. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ. There could be no greater decision. See, a lot of times we play around with Jesus, but folks, Jesus wasn't playing when he went to the cross and died for our sins. He was, he was dead serious. And I'm afraid we've gotten to this easy system of the world today that says, well, I'll trust Jesus. No, man, be excited. Say, I want Jesus in my life. Jesus died for me. Oh, what a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day. What a day that will be. Oh, listen, if you've never trusted Christ, why not do it today? What are you putting off? By the way, don't put it off till tomorrow. Because I've been here, and I won't, I won't go into all the details but some of you know, I've been here on, for a service, and then literally 15 minutes after we broke service, a young man went out into eternity. Oh, we don't have a blank check. We don't have a blank check on tomorrow. Whatever you're going to do for Jesus, do it now. Remember, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let's do business with Jesus right now. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would bless this time of invitation like never before, that we would be real serious about our desire to be used by you, to be filled by the Holy Spirit, to reflect you, Lord, in everything that we think, say, or do. And God, that you would be worth it all, that we would, we would literally proclaim from the rooftop that you are worthy, that you are worth it, that you are precious in our sight. God, it's exciting to hear that Stephen, who was a man that was full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, was willing to stand when others wouldn't. God, I don't know what took place in that moment, why you were standing or why you weren't. God, I just know that in my heart of hearts, I know that you had to be exceedingly proud of your servant, Stephen. God, I pray that you would be proud of us, that we would be men and women that would desire to please you that we would walk with you, that we would obey your commands. God, that we would love this world the way that you love the world and gave yourself for it. As ordinary people, God, I believe you want to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God, I pray you'll bless this time of invitation. As we open up the altars, God, I pray that you'll burden the hearts of people to come and to seek your face like never before. And we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.